What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Welcome, everybody, to Who Pods the Watchmen, your weekly companion podcast to the HBO series. I'm Grant, I'm and Clay. along with me, yeah, Clay. Oh, jumped in there. Jumped the gun. Um, I I feel like I already looked at your uh, Donald Trump-esque notes there going oh, on here, my... and I'm not sure what's going on there. My reading notes. But uh, folks, we always want to welcome you to our uh, our podcast. We are going to be discussing episode six, This Extraordinary Being, and we're going to be doing a, a breakdown. We are coming on to this discussion an hour after the episode finished airing here uh, Sunday night. So we're fresh on yeah. the heels of it. Yeah. This is always going to be a, a first impressions. We'll probably miss some things. A lot of things are going to be hot takes, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but among those hot takes, we will, of course, give our, our hottest of takes of this episode. Uh, but before we get into all of that, I did just want to say, um, if you guys are checking us out on YouTube, we do a live stream of this episode, and you guys can go ahead and subscribe. We would appreciate it. We'd love to also see your comments. Please go ahead and tell us what we got wrong, what you guys are thinking of uh, particular theories. If you guys have any of your own, we'd love to hear all of that kind of feedback. So please just go ahead and uh, lay it on us. Uh, Additionally, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Watchmen. There you can go and help support this little show. We are uh, an independent, self-funded little project here. So anything that you guys can do to help support us, we do greatly appreciate we uh, take that money and pay for hosting costs <laughs> right now. Um, and, yeah, if you guys want to do that, uh, patreon.com slash who pods the watchman. You can make a per month pledge. And we do try to do little bonus, um, little like we'll do journal entries occasionally. We'll do a little uh, uh, secret podcast just for you guys where we'll ramble about certain particular theories. So, yeah, we try to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And um, additionally, want to say – we had an exclusive interview this week with the writer of episode five last week, Carly Ray, who uh, is also the co-executive producer on the show. She was fantastic. Yeah. What did you think of it? It was lovely. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, she was really gracious. Uh, I mean, her time is obviously really valuable, more valuable than ours. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was great to kind of get a behind-the-scenes look and talk about not only Watchmen, but also her previous projects, which are just as impressive. So. Right. And if you guys want to go check that out, uh, of course, subscribe to our podcast. It, it'll feed in there, or it's on the website. And uh, we also wanted to thank, we got a new patron this month, uh, or this week, uh, James Worm. Welcome. Happy Welcome. to have you. And uh, we had a question. I didn't know if I should save this to the end. We should die. No, let's do it right now. Yeah. you. Yeah. This, because I, this isn't even really something that you and I have talked about. But one of our, our um, patrons asked, um, Joe Johnson asked, uh, what will we be doing after this? What will we be doing? Yeah, after the show wraps up Jeez. in four four more episodes. I'll probably be wrapping Christmas presents. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, lined up with that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing. Who pods? I don't even know uh, what other show. Maybe we'll actually Riverdale? start. Re- <laughs> maybe we'll look back at other Watchmen podcasts and kind of review 
other Watchmen podcasts. Oh, that's shady, isn't it? That'd be pretty I, bad. I don't know if we should do that. Have you, have you seen Four in a Bed? Um, no. It's the BBC or Channel One. Uh, they take like four bed and breakfast owners in the UK, and then they all stay at each other's bed and breakfast, and then they rate them. And sometimes they say like, "Would you stay it here again?" And then when they, when they like <clears throat> they like get music going and they zoom in when they circle no. It's all this drama. I feel like that's what we would be doing to other people's podcasts. Like, would we re-listen? No. You, uh, you're quite the Anglophile. Like, I don't you think this, so. You watch the Great British Bake Off or whatever it is? Uh-huh. Those are really the only two shows, though. I don't watch The Crown. I mean, we watch The Office. Duh. Detectorist. Duh. Okay. I don't know. So, come on. I mean, I really don't. I think I watch maybe two more than you, and all of a sudden, I'm an Anglophile. You're like, getting way too defensive. Yeah, I know. I'm getting pretty angry. That's what an Anglophile would do. Jeez, I need, to, really stick, defensive I need to stick it. to my notes here. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So let's go ahead and jump into the show, huh? Okay. Let's do it. Did we uh, – well, I mean, did, did, we, we didn't really give an answer, but we don't know what we're going to be doing, but I think I want to keep working with you. Yeah. We I, keep doing so. I like you. We can at least hang out behind the scenes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we might try and spin off and talk about – maybe we could talk about the comics, the the other miscellaneous comics that came afterwards. Yeah. And just eviscerate them, or maybe they're good. I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, yeah, but uh, we'll keep you guys abreast of whatever it is we decide to do there. <sighs> Already saying breast. <laughs> it's not blue dicks yet. Jeez, <laughs> I haven't gotten there. You got a few days till your birthday before you have to be too mature for that. Okay, so uh, title episode, episode six. Yes, yeah. this is titled uh, "This Extraordinary Being." It's directed by Stephen Williams, who also directed the third episode. She was killed by space junk. Remember that one with the blue dildo? I don't remember that. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. There we go. <laughs> and uh, the writers this week are Damon Lindelof, along with Cord Jefferson, who has worked on The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, Master of None, and The Good Place, who where he was also uh, one of the producers. Wonderful. Yeah. Cool. And the premise of this episode was deep under the influence of nostalgia, the, the medication, Angela gets a firsthand account of her grandfather's journey. So that, that's it. That's that, they were very brief on this yeah. one. Um, hot well, it, takes. Interesting. I mean, I think that's that's actually pretty accurate um, because this was such a tightly knit, you know, episode. I mean, I thought last last week was crazy. It was kind of nice just to kind of see a what would you call it? I mean, not a bottle episode or anything, but it's, it was kind of cool almost, to stick to like a real world problem. Right. It's almost like a, its own standalone episode in a way. I mean, yeah. it it definitely ties into the larger themes and plot that's going on. But this episode could and should be submitted for awards as its own kind of standalone thing. Right. I think it exists in such a way that people who haven't watched the rest of the show could watch this and feel like they really get a good picture of a complete story within the story. Best black and white show that you've seen uh, before this, like the most recent one. Don't say Roma. I didn't. Well, that was a movie, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, when I say show, I mean either TV show or movie. Man, I don't know. Come on. There's a particular one. Second season, Master of None. Oh, that episode. The Italian episode. Yeah, that was pretty That great. was really good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what did you think? What, what, give, give me your impressions on this. Not not Master of None, but this this uh, episode. Right. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was extremely effective. It had some big reveals. It had some really heavy consequences for the mythology of Watchmen and I I would want to say this does Alan more proud. Although he is such a curmudgeonly 
fucking asshole that he probably would still bitch about anything that's a translation of his material. But I still think that like what this what this did to further dissect and and in in ways um, tear apart the veneer of of the Minutemen. Um, even even characters that you might have thought were a little bit more decent, like Captain Metropolis, I thought it was just it was really well handled. The, he was able to retcon in this backstory of Hooded Justice, which we've been alluding to anyway. Mm-hmm. But how how seamlessly and successfully he did it, it, it was just it was perfect. It was really well written, and it was this sad, tragic, and yet in a way. Um, uh, kind of rewarding story at the mm-hmm. end yeah. that there's there's this come up and obviously there's a loss in his his slide into um becoming a costume vigilante and he loses his family right but there's this this reclaiming of power that I thought was really well executed yeah in the story yeah what did you think I agree I I I can't say it any better um you know no surprise there but uh, this was a difficult episode to watch. I think we kind of had to confront this episode as a viewer in a more difficult way than uh, we've had to, con- you know, dealing with other episodes where I think last week I had so much fun. I mean, there were tough moments in it, but I had so much fun watching it and just being a fan. And this one was really hard. I mean, it really revisited the, you know, race relations in the United States, um, the inequities here, I mean, specifically the, you know, Tulsa race riots, and then also even in New York City, 1938, even now, of course, um, it was really difficult to watch for me. I don't know if you kind of kept thinking, God, I'm going to have to keep, you know, it's just, this was like kind of being in a, in a, in a class in university or something, you know, we learned a lot and you just kind of kept being reminded about how difficult people's lives are. And that and that's just hard to watch sometimes. So I think this was a wonderful episode, um, but like we'll get to it later. But I didn't even have a cubes moment or anything, which is not to say it was a bad episode. It was just so good and so serious for me that I was just kind of engrossed in the story and thinking about the historical context, which obviously is what they were trying to do. They took she took nostalgia, and to get a sense of what her grandfather was going through and what was going on, and she sure as hell got it. So, right, I, I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, I had, I had. A cubes moment. Oh, yeah. But okay. I think that the idea that it was just so heavy and, and so, like, profound and, like, weighing on you that you couldn't take a breather from it to go, aha, about yeah. something in particular. It was like, yeah, I, I get that. Now, I, th- I, I thought scenes were shot beautifully. You know, I thought the framing was awesome. I thought the the – I, I I really loved it. It was just kind of a heavy episode to watch, um, and I'm glad we had it because I really think this did go back to uh, what what's at the heart of all this, right? I mean, obviously Alan Moore was looking at nuclear annihilation and the fear that you know something could drop from the sky and just destroy all of us at any moment. Whereas this is revisiting something that's a lot more human in a way, right? It's just what you can't even walk down the street after you've worked an eight or twelve hour shift before you get accosted by somebody, right? Right, and. Yeah, you're right. There's this there's this easy there's a much easier distance for us nowadays about yeah. the the nuclear apocalypse. But even then, there was this removal of most people in society from it because they were all completely helpless to it. Yeah. Um whereas this is like you're saying, this is a uh, a very human on the streets um kind of situation that any and all of us are 
responsible for. Right. I mean, look, like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and Jesus, the 80s, right, during the Red Scare or something, you could have a barbecue or be grilling outside of your house and you're not going to get accosted by nuclear weapons. Right, <laughs> like the atomic bomb. You're not you're not afraid of an atomic bomb. I mean, you you actually right. kind of are, but really, it's never it doesn't happen. But to a large segment of the population, they were outside every weekend grilling and just trying to have a little bit of you know a decent life. Mm. And they were being accosted by the police and the power structure and everything. So this was a tough episode to watch for that. But I'm glad he did it. And man, I mean, also just looking kind of from a more fun kind of comic book standpoint, great origin story. I mean, you're totally right. Like, it was seamless, and it was wild, and he had to retcon the whole thing, you know? And it was just – it was really well done. The the nods they give to their obvious and and, and points, like, heavy-handed homage, like the the news vendor. We've seen news vendors pop up as a repeated theme from the Watchmen comic. But you have the news vendor who's reading the action comic number one with Superman. yeah. And he's, he, he, the immediate parallels that Will Reeves is seeing between himself and Superman, like, oh, we both were abandoned. Like, I did a video yeah, discussing right. this very and thing. I mean, heavy-handed but not forced, which is such a difference. Right. It it worked in that it's like, oh, there is the parallel there. And you can see how one could draw inspiration from that as well as the whole Batman idea of him being inspired by a movie when tragedy had stri- struck in him at, in Tulsa during the riots. Like, that's that's Batman. That's Superman. He even, like, in donning his costume, it really is reminiscent of um, Batman Year One or Daredevil Year One. Absolutely like, Daredevil for and me. It, yeah. like, you, like, you feel like all this is um, – it's all in the, the – uh, the the common language that we all understand media. Right. So we, we see this and we we just kind of we get it. We're like, oh yes. Yeah. That is a Superman or just sorry, that is a superhero or just sorry. And just that is actually my um cubes moment. I'm gonna go ahead and jump into it yeah. right now. Yeah. But when he's leaving the uh, attempted uh hanging and he's hold he's got the noose still around his neck and he's holding mm-hmm. the mask mm-hmm. and he sees the couple getting um uh, assaulted in the alleyway and he's hesitating and then he looks down at the mask and there's this just kind of flicker of of I still am a person that has to do something. I have to help these people. But now I need to hide my identity. Yeah. There's this there's such a a, a beauty and a tragedy yeah. to what they were showing right there that was just it was so powerful. Yeah. And it was like I don't know. It was like one of those just t- spine tingly, like yeah. This like taking a comic book origin like up a notch, like having the full weight of the tragedy of of how race is played out in this country. Yeah, echoed in the origins of that moment. It, it just had so much more weight to it. Yeah, I mean, and that's really his. You know, I think during during the whenever we, you know, I don't know if people know, but we reviewed the comic books leading up to this. And I think a few times over in that, we started thinking, you know, do these people have superpowers? And, you know, one time you said, well, you know, Vate, or now Vite, um, right? <laughs> right, kind of Vite. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if he's the smartest guy in the world and he's so smart, he's, you know, running mental laps around everybody else, is that a superpower? And the answer is, you know, probably yes. This guy's superpower is that he just has to do the right thing. And after a while, he just doesn't give a fuck and he has to do the right thing. And he's doing the right thing for, a, like you said, a white couple who wouldn't spit on him if he's on fire. And he knows he has to cover himself, his everything about him that makes him a human, and just become this 
you know, faceless figure to save them because he just has to do the right thing. And, you know, harnessing that anger, and they talk about anger. We'll talk about that too, because I think that's really important, especially looking back at the last episode. But um, yeah, I mean, if you think about this guy's superpower, it's just that he wants to do the right thing and he has to get to the bottom of it, even if he has to, you know, even if he's doing it to the benefit of others who kind of fucking hate him and would hang him from a tree. You know, it's awful. And that, I mean, that has to be a superpower just that you care that much about the right thing and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was definitely a, a powerful moment. And I, I, th- I thought he just did it so well. I mean, it had all the great comic book aspects. Like you're talking about, like, okay, he's in the dark alleyway. He's right. beaten up. He's bloodied. We don't know if he can stand, let alone fight. And then we see the the couple who's accosted by people. And, you know, and it, it, it was awesome. Yeah, really good. Uh, okay, I want to take a step back. And I want to talk about the title. The title of this is... Uh, this extraordinary being. And honestly, when I first heard that, I was like, I don't, I don't actually know what the, that title is in reference to. Cause all of these titles are, are a reference to something. So, but, but we haven't known what they're in reference to at all. Right uh, off, right I, off the bat. I mean, some of them I kind of, well, I, I, I tried to look them up, okay, I was but say. I was trying to Google search this one in particular and I couldn't figure it out. Okay. Wasn't pulling up. It was like, maybe it's a reference to a song, but it's not the exact, um, lyrics and everything was a little off. So I went to Reddit's message board, and someone there pulled it out, and it's actually a reference to Hollis Mason's book from The Watchmen, one one of those excerpts they have yeah, under the hood, in between, yeah, uh, from the supplemental uh, material, and this is talking about the first appearance, of, the appearance of the first masked vigilante, Hooded Justice, and uh, the the um, passage goes like this: It says. Uh, reportage on the second instance was more detailed. A supermarket stick-up had been prevented thanks to the inter- intervention of a tall man built like a wrestler who wore a black hood and cape and also wore a noose around his neck. This extraordinary being had crashed in through the window of the supermarket while the robbery was in progress and attacked the man responsible for, with such intensity and savagery that those not disabled immediately were only too willing to drop their guns and surrender. Connecting this incident of masked intervention with its predecessor, the papers ran the story under the headline that simply read, Hooded Justice, the first masked adventurer outside comic books had been given his name. Huh. All right. Awesome. So this extraordinary being, which is already just kind of like in, in itself, kind of like a beautiful phrase. Yeah. Like this is just the essence of being, I think, is just the extraordinariness of it. Yeah. But also talking about, in particular, Hooded Justice and how he was the first superhero. I think it just it was a good It's title. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a being like a human being, but also being as in becoming and acting, you know? Yeah. But also the meta aspect yeah. of all their titles being referenced to some sort of other medium, like be it songs or, or articles or books or passages like that, like pop culture kind of things. But this is a book within a book mm-hmm. that this was the inspiration for. It's just kind of like, it's almost oh, like okay. Lindelof really loves this source material. <laughs> he really seems wow. To. <laughs> yeah, he's all about it. Hey, uh, what do you think about the music? Man, it yeah. was great. Yeah, I I at several points through this episode, I kept making notes about how they were employing music that it would be so haunting and chilling, right? Like, 
the the jazzy kind of, um, but little like discordant jazzy music during the fight scene. Yeah, that was actually the, my second note, and that's actually whenever I jumped up and paused it and said, "Oh, I got to go get a notebook," you know, oh, yeah. because I mean that idea of jazz as improvisation, where you're just making things up on the fly and decide. And I'm sorry to jump in, no, but no, just no. that idea of that improvisation aspect of it, which is jazz, right? And that's I think the first time it was utilized, or one of the first times, was when he does your cues moment. Look down and decide. Fuck it, I'm doing this. Mm. And you can see the clockwork. You can see everything kind of going, okay, here we go. And uh, it, it was awesome. I loved how they employed jazz. And then also, you know, a lot of times people will it, – it's kind of this shtick to play cutesy, like kind of nice romantic music while there's a fight scene going on. A, a lot of people do that. I don't know, you know, in the last five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. This actually did it really well. And it wasn't just to kind of create this discordance between like, you know, okay, savagery and then just a romantic song. But it actually, like, the lyrics and everything fit and, and when, in the songs they chose. It was just a, yet another example of, like, they're just really framing these episodes really well. Anyway, sorry. No, you, you didn't necessarily interrupt anything. I was, I, I agree. I think there was um, certain parts that just, like, how it constructed the atmosphere. In particular, I, I remember there was this, like, um, what, what, what's the style? This kind of soulful... Um, uh, this lady was like singing this old 1920s or 30s song. And while she's singing, that's when um, Will gets um, assaulted by the cops who kidnap him. And then yeah. they're going to go to uh, do the, the fake, the fake lynching. And as they're doing it, the music kind of like moves into sounding like it's like underwater. It, it gets warbled. faded. And, yeah. Yeah. And it just like, feels so like you feel discombobulated by it. I'm like, ah, I, how the music just lends to the atmosphere and how how they match it tonally to what's going on um, in the era, I think is just really well done. Like, yeah. you know, we were talking about last week how they were in the, the 80s in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh-huh. and the music took on much more of that kind of 80s synth wave kind of feel to him right and it was like yeah this this really fits and i i want to say this is like credit to um ross uh or trent reznor and atticus ross Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah not atticus finch okay i said that will yeah (laughs) make sure i said the right one this time yeah i mean that that one song at the end whenever he is burning down the uh the warehouse Oh, you know, yeah. she, she kept repeating like "smoke gets in your eyes." You know, so I just I don't even know the song, but I want to go back and and find and find who did that and listen to that tonight. It was lovely. So I wanted to start at the beginning, if that's cool with you, uh-huh. um, with the opening scene where we have uh, the fake hooded justice with the amazing eyebrows, like just shaped in there's really intense eyes. The actress looks really familiar, but I couldn't put a complete name on it. Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. <laughs> That sounds fake. Uh, but, like, once again, kind of peering into this uh, fictionalization of the the Minutemen, like, even from the beginning with the, the title card being Watchmen and then the, the puff of smoke wafts it into Minutemen. Awesome. It was slick, and then it drops right into that sh- the, the television show, which is absurd. Um, I, I thought how heavy the the dialogue was and like explaining it was like a turn to the camera and just like we have a lot of info to dump on you guys and here's how we're gonna do that in this show through through the lens of dick tracy yeah yeah but you know it it once again 
someone was calling me out and saying like, hey, this isn't a, that, that show's not a knock on Snyder. Lindelof loves Snyder. They're buddies. And maybe that's true. But that show has a lot of echoes of, of Snyder's distinct style. I think the punching and the blood just spraying out and, like onto the window to hold on the frame, stuff like that, feels very Zack Snyder. Yeah. And it's such a contrast. Like you see a little bit of that fight sequence in in the interrogation room in yeah, the beginning yeah, yeah. Yeah. and how just like sensationalized and like brutal it is yeah. versus a much more grounded uh-huh. and like the dull thud of, of punches that are sometimes not even fully connecting and like just these people just brawling and obviously aching and hurting. And, exa- but, and exhausted and just yeah. kind of wrestling at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I it mean, just feels so much more visceral and you're, real. You're totally right. I mean, that first scene, I actually had to look away whenever he did the heads crashing. Oh, I, I, that's just not something I can watch, you know? So I did the total, you know, I'm still going to be a man, quote unquote, and but I'm going to look down at the corner, like left corner of the screen, <laughs> which is my trick during horror movies or anything I can't watch. Um, it's a good little life act there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I couldn't even watch that. And then there was something even more difficult to watching some of those scenes, like the scene in the back of the uh, of the supermarket or corner store or whatever. Right. Because you're, the whole time you're thinking, you know, and, and they did such a good job with the camera, putting it right over his shoulder. So then you're thinking, is there somebody on that stage above or step, you know, up, up the stairs that has a gun or something? And you're just worried about this guy on a real personal level. You know, so it was hard to watch in a real organic human way, whereas the other one was just kind of hard to watch because it's just the easy thing to do where it's just blood splattering and, you know. Well, Take, uh, pivoting off of what you're saying right there, the supermarket sequence. I think in the very beginning, we have the fictionalized version of Hooded Justice. I, I get it. They're they're both fictionalized. But in this instance, um, the, the real true story in this world of Hooded Justice is indirect. Like, it, it feels like it's in opposition to what the Hollis Mason journal entry was about it. Like, yeah. He's like, oh. He stopped a simple burglary in a supermarket. Like, who? who, who what, what's the money they're quibbling over that he need, they're getting robbed in there? Yeah. This place that he has to re- respond with brute force, right? Yeah. But it would make a lot more sense if he was fighting the KKK and that got brushed away from all news reports that of there course. was there was people in in robes, especially as Fred was the supermarket cover for them. And would have been like change your outfits, we'll get you to the hospital, kind of thing. Absolutely. But even even in so much as they reverse the way he's going, he dives out of the window versus into the window to start stop the crime. He's diving out of it to escape the, the gunfire. And I, I thought it was just kind of this clever way of like showing what you thought was going on there. It's actually the opposite. Exactly. And I mean, he's, you know. He busts through the back room of the store, and he's he's a hooded figure punching a cop who I think was in uniform. I'm trying to remember. Um. Oh, it, the, in the back, the KKK? yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, okay, the, who the, opened the door? Who opened the door? The little window thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But even when they go, when he when it carries over into the store, you know, when he looks up and he's pushing him up against the lettuce. I think that guy was in just his police uniform. Was he pushing him into lettuce? Yeah. Uh interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, I mean, when you're looking at that, he looks up and he thinks, oh, shit, I'm out of my element here or I'm out of my depth. I'm just pushing a cop. I'm hooded. You know, I just look like this masked vigilante as I am. Did he say you have the right to remain calm? Oh, nice. Was it? (laughs) 
He actually did say that, and then they just – that's on the cutting room floor. Yeah, like, that's got to go. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that, that, that's it. So it's just you're, – you're right that, you know, that type of thing would be left out, and obviously the KKK elements would be left out, and all the real story. It's got, I mean, but just like anything is romanticized and fictionalized, the way we look back at, you know, all history is like right. that. So it was kind of fun to kind of get back. And like you said, I know that this is not real. But to see the re- what really happened and how complicated it was and complex it was. And this is just a guy going into a room of like five or six people because, again, he just has to do the right thing. I mean, I think in the show, what I keep being surprised about is, damn, these people are really courageous. I mean, just, yeah. like, just like we had Looking Glass go in last week into that empty uh, mall or whatever, right? Those are the interesting characters, the ones who look at that dangerous situation and they go toward it. Good Lord. Yeah, I guess you're right. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a show. Yeah, but um, the whole um, the whole premise of uh, Cloverfield, right? <laughs> it's like, let's follow the idiots who would go after the monster. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting story there. Yeah, I, th- I think you just actually also did the, the synopsis for um, Twister. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, could you pass me a beer? Idiots are great. Uh, yeah, I can. You, I'll give you one of these old milk stouts. Beautiful. Uh, so, I thought there was also a pretty funny little um, nod in the American uh, American. What was it called? American hero hero story. story yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, where they're talking about the relationship he has with Nelson Gardner, and after he beats up the cops, and it like zooms away to the police station, like you see the uh, police officer like still watching it. And if you listen to the dialogue, he's like, oh, no. Now, now what I'm really troubled about is that Nelson Gardner is actually cheating on me with J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> now I have to deal with that. <laughs> and, like, just how, like, seedy and soap opera it has it going on. And that everybody's watching it on their desks on these little old TVs that we used to have in our kitchens growing up. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I don't get it. All the technology is, they're so far behind us in technology. So right. They don't have cell phones. Yeah. In this world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's a weird deal to imagine somebody not having a cell phone. It's a little 1990s-ish. Yeah. So not even the Nokia. I mean, you know, you got to play Snake. <laughs> um, no, but so, it's still a little bit of a hodgepodge. Yeah. No, it was – it was uh, that, and, and I love how Lori just walks in and she's like, turn that shit off. Yeah. She's like she, – because, like, again, I mean, he just – so well, like even four or five seconds right there, they, they just capture the character. I have to admit, when I saw the previews for this episode – I thought this was a Sister Night episode. I thought this was going to be Angela Abar, Regina King, like front and center. It was going to be her story and how she grapples with the revelations of her grandfather's past. So I thought it was going to be full-on Quantum Leap. I thought we'd we be in Saigon. we see her as the body the whole time. Yeah. But um, the actor, and I, I, it wasn't listed yet who the actor is who's playing the younger Will Reeves, was great. My favorite performance of this this episode, I, I just thought that's that's a lot for him to have to come in and be like, oh, this show's already established at this point, but you're going to be the lead character in this episode and you have to carry the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. You know what? That's so funny that you said that because now I realize which younger version you're talking about. I thought you meant the kid. No, no, And no. I was like, yeah, I guess he did a pretty good job. But I don't, I don't, the young right, man, right, yeah. right, right. But now I realize, oh, yeah, there were multiple younger variants and that's yeah no you're right he by far i mean i think that cal had a really powerful scene too right i mean because again just looking at like laurie in five seconds conveyed who she is i mean i know she was in it a little bit more trying to get her to sign the you know the the consent form mm. but and and sorry so, sorry to derail this but i think i was looking at you know who was the who was who had the best performance and it's obviously him but Cal, just in like 30 or 45 seconds, you see the worried husband, the worried partner freaking out. You know, and of course they rush at home 
they probably, you know, are knocking on the door at home. He's trying to feed the kids or something like that. And then like, you got to come to the hospital overdose. He's thinking, what the hell? Like, that doesn't sound like my wife. Right. You know, and then he's been, they gave him this script and I bet, I'm sure they said something like introduce who she is, who you are, how you know each other, where you are, what time you are. Right. Mm. And he's just, and he follows it and you hear him just start to repeat it too. And it was just beautiful. I mean, it was hard to watch, but again, just in 30, 45 seconds there, everybody's so good. The dialogue's so good. The camera's so good. And the actors are so good that they can do so much with so little as opposed to Snyder who <laughs> couldn't do anything with a lot. Snyder slam. Da, you, da, da. You, you thought, uh, you thought it was difficult to watch that, that, that particular passage though. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I get like the, the weight of it, but. Yeah, like I find yeah. that things don't like I don't know. Maybe things don't uh, emotionally affect me in the same way. No, dude, come on. Uh, a little bit of a robot. Android without the emotion <laughs> chip. Yeah. Uh, how how this um, slid into it, it did this like reverse Wizard of Oz kind of slid thing into your DMs. It, it it went from color into black and white, oh. and how that transitioned, and then throughout this episode. The the repetition of his mom in color in the black and white playing the piano like on the sides of the street. How there's there's um the memory, but then there's obviously overlaps of different memories. Like the cinematography on this 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 episode was gorgeous. Yeah, it was so well done. These the sets it, in part felt like this really classy nineteen fifties Oscar winning kind of movie, right? Like, there was this transition where he walks out of the police station in daytime, and then it pans up to the buildings, yeah, and it drops into nighttime, yeah, and then the lights of uh, the window Start lights flickering like, flicker on, yeah, and then it pans across, and like, I, I if they did that in one shot, it looks so good. <laughs> it was just yeah. such a, a sweet looking shot, and I, ooh. And, and Another they, and, and they even me. had the old advertisements on the on the on the brick wall and everything. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. You're right. It almost felt sometimes like, okay, we see that we're on the old Hollywood uh, set, right? We mm. see that like this is like the set they have. They have a few streets for like 1930s New York, you know, and the warehouse scene, kind of like that. It felt like an old like watching an old um, Indiana Jones or something, right? When he's going after the Nazis or something, it just seemed really staged. But it was supposed to, and it never felt. It never took you away from it, you know? I mean, I wasn't around in the 30s. I don't know what it looked like. But I I guess I mean to say that they did – like when we watch a black and white movie, we have expectations of what it's going to be like. It's going to be dated. It's going to be old. And they kind of played with that because then they would introduce the shimmering piano player, you know, his mom playing the piano. They would introduce these pops of color. Him as a kid in the field outside the window. Exactly. And then him going through a door frame and it changes. You know, now he's he's outside. Or – I mean, for me, just a, I mean, and then his old memories in Tulsa, seeing the planes fly over sometime. And I think the hardest thing for me to watch and what really hit home, if we want to talk about the whole race thing, I don't know if you want to go there right now, but, you know, he's trying to walk home after a shift. I think I already alluded to it or talked about it a little bit earlier. And oh, you have the fuck. white, you have the white cops and I'm thinking, fuck, this guy can't even walk home. And now he's going to get bullied and probably he's going to get beat the fuck up or killed because he was just trying to do his job and do the right thing. And they're pressuring him and he can't even walk home and have a good night. You know, and then you think, okay, all these other people who are walking their dogs or whatever else they're doing on the street, they're seeing because he was out of uniform. I think at that point he was mm-hmm. just walking home, so they're thinking, okay, we have a ca- a car or a car full of white cops talking to a black dude on the street on the sidewalk. Surely this group's in the right, and this guy's in the wrong. 
you know, and so then we're thinking, God, that must be so hard just to live your life. You can't even walk home at night and enjoy. Because like if it's a romantic comedy, you're thinking, oh, it's such a nice night to walk out, you know, but because it's framed in this way, it just looks awful and feels awful. And then not only that, he just smacks us in the face whenever the car pulls away and you see the two dead bodies being uh, being pulled by the, by the car, right? And you see the yeah. blood streak on the on the on this. So it was, it was so, uh, it was awful. <laughs> it, it was awful, and so that and that's what I mean to say. It felt like the the black and white movie of expectations, and then they played with those, but then manipulated it so well. The color streaks of red oh. as it goes down the street, which they they do this a couple times with the color red here. And yeah, it was uh, a nod to uh, Pale Horse, which they referenced last episode, as well as Schindler's List of um, the effective use of color pop for um, emotioning and cueing you into um, particular things that are supposed to really impact you. Yeah. I mean, he saw, you know, I'm trying to think other than characters uh, like faces and stuff like that, you know, that red light at the end. Do you remember what, like, there was the alarm that was over the, maybe, maybe it, like, indicated they were recording or something? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the, the red light was them recording, and yeah. it was, like, the... The, the horror that they were actually recording. You also see, um, like his red, um, folder. Yeah. That he's, he's, uh, got the Cyclops thing in. And he's right. got his little logo that he drew on there. Right. And that's very interesting. Uh-huh. Like, that's this whole other topic that's, that reminds you to, uh, oh yeah, the, the larger premise of what's going on in the, this story of the, the show, Watchmen. When we, we've seen the Cyclops before. We've seen that that eye, but we were associating it, I think, with the squid. We had, uh-huh. we were under an assumption that that was a symbol of of the squid when we went into the Seventh Cavalry's warehouse. You see that spray painted on the walls like it's for target practice or something. Yeah, but now the narrative shifts a little. Where was it target practice for them, or is that their logo that these people are the is the Seventh Cavalry? A return of the great mesmerizers of the great mesmerizers, the the Cyclops or whatever uh, KKK. Is it that kind of longstanding tradition, and they still have that kind of logo there, or are these guys potentially some double crossing ops thing that's trying to work against that? It, it's it's still a little unclear, and I would lean toward oh no, they're they're clearly. They're they're clearly white supremacists. Yeah, but I don't know. There's there's something in that. There's something in the hesitation with what Judd was trying to say at the end that is supposed to make us second guess that. Yeah, I mean, it, and of course that's what brings it to the wider world and why it's not just a standalone episode, you know? Because this this is still pervasive. Absolutely, and we don't yeah. know. And each character has such a a nuanced approach to race and a nuanced approach to his or her history, right? And they're trying to do all this within just like an hour a week. And we don't know. I mean, we it is was the chief of police a sympathetic figure? I mean, in some ways, maybe. Was there a greater conspiracy afoot? It seems like in, in the last episode, you know, also obviously there's something tragic and vulnerable about, a, about someone who is, who is kind of mind melted into hanging himself. So, so maybe we just, you know, he's a little bit more vulnerable and he's going to tug on the heartstrings a little bit more right there, right? Right. But we don't know. I mean, at this point, we don't know his – I guess it's so interesting. And you're right. I think we talked about this on our preview episode before, leading up to the show. I know that you know the creators of the show said that within six or seven weeks, 
the whodunit's going to be answered. And it was. <laughs> and it was. But now that's not that's not the point. We don't care about that. I would like to point out that neither of us guessed Judd killed Judd. <laughs> You're completely right. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder how many did, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who thought, oh, he clearly hung himself while being mesmerized by a hypnosis flashlight. I mean, we were even thinking that the pills were like a, um, a strength modulator because the 100-year-old dude. Well, they make such a point of him standing up. Yeah. I, that was obviously the lead us to believe that oh potentially he could have done that but yeah no no he has a fancy flashlight He's got a fancy fl- of course he does yeah <laughs> Which, no th- i mean that's the other element of this being a lindelof joint is that i think it it brings that element of all it takes is another episode backstory and we can reinvent a character for how you look at them so if we do end up getting a Judd Crawford episode that delves into his backstory, we might get answers of why he wasn't. If, if a character is not outright telling us what, what happened, they're withholding information to make us kind of second guess that. Yeah. And you never know which way it's going to necessarily play. But it, doesn't it, in a way, feel a little bit dirty or wrong to be like, Oh, but maybe there is a good explanation for <laughs> why you're holding a KKK robe in, in your closet secretly. I'd be like, no, just don't have that. Right. I mean, but if, if we didn't have those questions, this would be on CBS. Yeah, yeah. You know, this would be um, in between Blue Bloods and Survivor season 36, <laughs> right? No, but I mean um, – is Blue Bloods still going? My mom. I, I don't know. I thought it was a good call. If, if Blue Bloods is not on, my mom is is really disappointed. Um, <laughs> and you know, yeah, I mean, this is we don't we don't know, and we don't, and, and I'm and I'm wondering like what's in store. I think we all are. What's in store for Angela? Obviously, right? Okay, she she survived that. I don't want to say what's in store for for Judd because I mean he's dead, but also like what's in store for his memory or legacy, and what really happened? You know, what is Senator Keene's? Um, role in this like we just have so many interesting questions and it's going to be weird to see what's resolved in four episodes going back a little bit mm-hmm. to um his his origin stories the parallels between his character and sister knight his granddaughter are very fascinating they they both have have chosen to wear hoods. H- him being inspired by Bass Reeves from uh, what what uh, Trust in the Law I think it was the name of the the movie that he saw as a but kid. But I think that guy was a real sheriff, right? Yeah, in Oklahoma Territory. Yeah, real yeah. guy. We I, I did a video on that. Was it a territory by that time, or was it a state? Uh, I don't. I think it was a territory. And once it became a state, he was one of the first policemen. Okay, actually, for a short time in one of the, the towns. But yeah. He was also potentially like the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't listen to the midweek pods. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I just should, I just outed myself. You should check it out. It was uh, wow. It was a good little video. I'm not a patron though. I'm sorry. But um, we also did a little episode two weeks ago where we were talking about the uh, the original notes for Hooded Justice. His name was going to be Brother Knight. Right. Although. There was going to be this guy who had like some ties to the KKK, some sort of uh, affinity for like Nazis in a way. And 
we discussed this a little bit, how this does still fit within that kind of narrative in so much as um, Will Reeves did have um, that document from the not the or the German propaganda that was like his one thing that he held on to when his dad said from 1917 watch, watch over this child yeah. or whatever it said on it and that was German propaganda uh, meant to point out the inequalities in America and try and entice um, African Americans to defect essentially right um, so if one might want to argue that he has a degree of an affinity it might be like there was a point to be made there in, in the problems of, of uh, America's society at the time. Yeah. I mean, everything fits in right. a way. I mean, he he introduced a ton of new material, but it fits within the overall um, scope and theme of the story, which I think was done so well. And it was hard to do. I mean, it, it, when it works this well, you're like, okay, this wasn't by accident. This is because they spent a ton of time on this. Right. You know, and not just the graphics and not just when to use color, but just the the idea and the theme of what this was and what this character is going to be was really well done. And it could have gone wrong in a lot of ways. And then you look at, like, she takes on the moniker Sister Knight. He, they now explain, could simply put white makeup on and that's enough to convince people that he was a white guy under the hood. And she now sprays her her eyes black. The 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 black hood he wears also could be a a reversal of the white hood of the KKK. Mm-hmm. I would think like I just how much how much more powerful of an origin story this is for this character and how much more interesting it is than this Muscle man from the circus named yeah. Ralph Muller. <laughs> right. No, exactly. You know, and, and speaking of just the, the white paint around the eyes, I mean, people see what they want to see. Right. People, if if they are extremely racist in this time or racist in, you know, and when I say this time, I meant the 1938, or racist in this time now, they're going to associate goodness with, with them, right, with their own tribe. And so they're not really going to ask that many questions. They're going to want... To assume it's a white guy. Of course. And they might not even give it a second thought, right? I mean, we we see all these these acts, both large and small, of, of racism in this episode. Um, I thought, you know, just with, like, the pinning of his badge, and, oh. like, he's, like, t- telling the other officer, oh, I did this because of you. I really look up to you. And that guy was just like, ah, you're an idiot. <laughs> Essentially, like, oh, you shouldn't have done this. Um, obviously much more, more wisdom about the, the problems of the, the dynamics there. Yeah. Um, but also he gives him that kind of warning, like beware of the Cyclops. And then we see later when he makes the arrest of Fred, which I love that actor yeah. who, who plays that guy. He's, yeah. he's like in every HBO show, I think. I, yeah. I'm just seeing him in every single and one. And he seems like he's straight out of the Rocketeer. He was the bad guy in uh, True Detective. It's really good there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And Boardwalk Empire. And yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. But um, when he brings him in for the arrest, like they seem to be taking that arrest from him. And it was like, oh, like he, he can't even have that arrest. But, but, then, the, but, but turned, then you knew why they were. I mean, you knew yeah, so, yeah why they yeah, were taking it. Yeah, and then them doing the, the white power symbol. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it all makes sense. Also, wasn't it like this hoax for a while? This idea like, oh, the. The OK sign is like a white power symbol, but then like they straight up like in this show make it like that is a <laughs> it's a white power symbol. Oh, uh, I've never heard this. this. I've never heard this. Oh, I don't know. So, I, okay. I might be actually wrong on that, but, but I think that might be true. 
Well, you know. mean it might be true that it was or that people say it was? Well, I think now it's been kind of co-opted and adopted. I think it was trolling initially. They were saying like, oh, the OK symbol is like a white power symbol. And then they were kind of laughing about it. But then it seems like a bunch of white supremacists are making that all the time. Or, so now it is. OK, Oklahoma. <gasps> what? Holy smokes. Um, You know, so <laughs> I, I definitely want to touch on – I know we've touched on it a lot. We've touched on race. I want to touch on it some more. I mean, womp womp. But also I want to talk about um, Reeves, just the character, kind of his his motivations, his drives. I think it was really interesting and in looking back at episode – I mean, I don't – do you mind like looking back at episode five a little bit nah, with Looking Glass? Let's do it. For me, I thought the the whole point of, of episode five was dealing with anxieties and, be, and, and Looking Glass being able to – and I, I'm, I'm sorry. This is awful doing this podcast, but I'm just awful with names. What's his name? Not Looking Glass, but – Wade? Yeah, thank you. Thinking of the actor's name. Okay. So Wade is so awesome, right? At looking at others and knowing the truth, but he can't admit his own truth. He can't do that self-reflection because it's just going to be too tough to confront. So instead of doing that, his mirror, it, his mirror mask points one way. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so instead of do instead of just going to therapy for an hour and actually sitting down and opening up, he's like, I'll just spend all this money building an underground bunker. And then I'm going to do tests every day for this ED extra dimensional, whatever, or whatever it was called. You know, whenever – yet in episode six, he comes – he shows up to his wife, right? And he says, okay, I'm angry. Episode five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. This is episode five? This is episode six. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, oh. in, so in episode six now, he shows – he comes home to his wife and he says, okay, I'm angry. Right. Right? And right there we know here this is a guy who's able to admit his own – I mean it's not a problem. His his anger is righteous and it's and it's for a good reason. Um. And so unlike Looking Glass, he's able to actually turn that around and use it for, for good, which I, I thought that was interesting that they were back-to-back, and I think they were back-to-back on purpose, the fact that he was able to come home and say, you know what, I am angry, and I have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do, I might lose myself, and I might lose the police force because now he knows the job's a, a, you know, a sham. He's then going to lose the Minutemen because he realizes they're not looking out for him. They're just selling these cool Norman Rockwell, you know, like <laughs> awesome – um, like bank, you know, I don't know, oh, like yeah, li- yeah, yeah, li- yeah. licensing agreements and stuff like that and promos. The, the racist little advertisements for dollar bill. Fucking awful. The exactly, right? Yeah. So, you know, so we have... Which you it, saw hanging in the trailer in the very first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then we, and then he also loses his family at the end. So he loses all this, but he still, and he kind of had a pretty like, I mean, I'm not going to say it was a decent life, but coming from where he came from, that's actually, you might view it as a success in the context, Right. right? But he still says, you know what, fuck it. I'm angry. I have to do something about it. And that's that's the difference. I mean, I don't know if it's a difference between him and Wade, but like, wow, it shows that he he harnesses it and does something. And I don't know if Wade's there yet. You know what I mean? In fact, Wade's not because he sold out Sister Night at the end. Mm, so Wade's he, still, I think he saved her. Okay. Uh, you know what? You're you're right about that. You're right about that. But Wade is somebody who's still searching and he's searching for the truth and everything like that. And of course he is dealing with squids falling from the sky. He's dealing with crazy interdimensional conspiracy theories but at least but he's also dealing with uh a very real power that is beyond his comprehension down the hall that well down the hall and also uh the the seventh cavalry knows yeah. all about all of them and is also teleporting basketballs all over the place oh, like they have awesome. some sort of power to them and they have a reach that he doesn't even understand yet. And you know what? Why basketballs? Is it because they bounce and they'll they'll make noise and alert you to where they are? I think so. I think it just makes the most sense. I mean, as you know, that's my favorite sport. 
Yeah. So I love that. I think it was because of you. I think they knew, like, oh, Clay loves basketball. Let's do basketball. Speaking of retcon. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I just thought that, you know, whenever he said, okay, I thought there were a lot of powerful moments. And when he showed up, obviously, he has the noose around his neck. He just got in this fucking crazy fist fight. And he says, okay, I'm angry. It was so understated and so well done, just like this show was, this mm. episode, that, uh, or the show in general. It just worked, you know? It was cool. I, in addition to that, the fact that, like, she not only supports him, but kind of pushes him in that direction. June is like, yeah, this is, this is going to be a healthier way for you to channel that anger. And she was the one kind of pulling the strings and like, like stick with me. We're a team. We can, we can fight this together. And she was probably right. Yeah. Like he should have stuck with her. And when he started working with the Minutemen, that's when, Shit went sideways, and he got betrayed by them. I love how it it deconstructed the the myth mythos of the the Minutemen even further. I mean, we already saw the seedy side of them with the comedian being a a, a rapist, and all of them kind of backing him and it being alleged. But uh, additionally, it just seemed like they they now have like unveiled like the obvious racial issues going on there, yeah. like when. Because they also present it with this relationship where they have that that, that shot where he touches his fingers, right. uh, where Will touches Captain Metropolis's fingers, and you're like, "Oh, the electricity's there." And I was like, "Huh, I wonder how we're gonna slowly see this relationship build." Oh, they're fucking. <laughs> it's like, oh, that relationship's already happening. It seemed almost later that night or something, like really soon after. And he's like, "Will you will you join?" Yeah, I guess I'll join. Um. Okay, but you got to cover up and you have to hide who you are because they just won't understand. And it's like, oh, the the sheen on this Captain Metropolis guy immediately diminished. It was yeah. like, oh, he's scummy already too. Yeah. And then, he, I mean, it was just so awful. It was just so awful whenever he's calling him from the payphone saying, hey, come help me. He's like, hey, why don't you just come up to my loft? Right. You know, I'll get a bottle of Chianti open. Just we'll wanted, just talk about this. Just wanted a booty call. It was just awful. I mean, you're saying like, oh, no, I have this this government conspiracy afoot. I just walked into a theater with hundreds of dead bodies. Oh, oh just come over, baby. <laughs> it's awful. How this still also worked within the world of Watchmen, the comic, with uh, the name dropping of Moloch. Um, Moloch was known to use devices to control people's minds. And... So when um, Captain Metropolis during the the Minutemen presser is like, oh yeah yeah, yeah. we're we're because um, he was gonna say we're going after the KKK and he's like we're going after Moloch the mesmerizer, I was like that's a clever way of integrating that story while also pointing out that he's uh, fucking over uh, hooded justice in this instance of like being able to call out the actual problem yeah the actual like having a fall guy. For a greater institution. Right. I guess. Yeah. But in a way, it still fit because mind control ended up being one of those things that you that is seems so kooky and conspiracy, but straight up was happening in this episode. Yeah. And who would have thought it could have worked? Yeah. You know, or that it worked, I mean, thematically. Right. When he's burning down the warehouse. Beautiful scene. I love when he's – there was a point. I, this is uh, – I'm going off tangent here. Um, but there's a point where he starts stacking all the bodies. And at that point, I went, 
Oh, yeah. I wonder how they're going to crowbar in Adrian Veidt's story this episode. I thought the same thing. It's going to be so awkward. And it's going to be so much color, it's going to, like, blind me. Right. You know? Yeah. And then, thankfully, they didn't. Uh-huh. They, they, I think they made a great call. They decided, nah, we're not going to do that. This episode is is too important and too standalone to have the wacky adventures of Adrian fight going on. Yeah. And that was a great call. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, when he's like arranging those bodies and then burning down the place, uh, he takes that projector. And I was like, why is he taking this projector? But it, it comes into play. He obviously figured out the technology they were using, the, these crystals inside this projector, and was able to, uh, I guess, uh, turn it into a flashlight that he was able to mind control Judd at the end. Yeah. And you have to kind of wonder about like the the history of of hooded justice according to the comic he like disappears and they think he died right and maybe he disappears but in the meantime something must have been going on with what he was working on and maybe we'll get a little bit more of a reveal we get a very limited scope of backstory into his origin as hooded justice but there's another 40 years of his life 50 60 years of his life that we don't see yet he was tinkering He's just tinkering. Yeah, we're just going to see him in a garage just tinkering. <laughs> just becoming Iron Man. Yeah, just, yeah. No, just tinkering and just coming up with that flashlight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was um, – I, I want to know more about him. And I think it's interesting. You know, like we talked about, you know, he lost his faith in, in justice, right? And that was the name of the, of the film or whatever. I mean, he didn't lose his faith in that film. but just Trust the, the law. Trust yeah. the law, right? He lost his faith in, in the law and justice when he was actually a policeman. Lost his faith in the Minutemen. I don't know if he lost his faith in his wife, but I mean, she left him and she said, don't ever come here. I mean, he, but I guess I mean to say he lost everything. And she even said, you know, you don't know us. Don't ever reach out. What did you think of that scene? Like for some reason that didn't work for me. It was, it was one of the only things that was forced. And I almost thought it was maybe a false memory. And, it, and then Angela was going to kind of confronted or something it, it was uh, weird see but that I, I, would be i don't think it was a false memory it just it just it was one of the few things that was rushed but the idea that there could have been false memories within this like this is how he wants to remember it that he just simply walked into the house saw his son putting on um the makeup and went to go scold him i mean i feel like there's already this this underlying story about um uh, fathers seeing their their sons putting on makeup and being abusive to them that also plays into this like this kind of violent scenario. But in this instance, he was following in his dad's footsteps and and wearing applying this makeup and that triggering this kind of violent reaction in him. But even then, he just kind of walked him over to the sink. Like there was nothing like physically abusive or yeah, like even grab his arm like that, that terrifying about the situation. And so I think maybe that that lends credence to this being a false memory. In his mind, he was doing things right. Well, they had to – in the hour episode, they had to tell us at least why all of a sudden he's on his own. Right. right? And they did it and it didn't work. But either way, whether it was a false memory or it was a rushed memory or it was just the way he remembers it and he remembered it incorrectly, it still happened. And I guess my question now is what does it mean that he reached out to Angela and why? You know, I mean, what does it mean for the plot? What does it mean for him as a as a grandfather? Because he was told to, it, you know, I mean, we don't know. We, we, we don't know what he was doing for the 40, 50, 60 years. So what does it mean? Because his family kind of disowned him. They, when Lady True is talking to Will Reeves at the table, 
um, two episodes ago. And she's talking about, like, why don't you just tell her? Why don't you just tell her? And obviously, she must have been saying, like, why don't you just tell her about the history? Yeah. Instead of this. And um, instead of, I think she calls it passive-aggressive exposition. Uh-huh. And that's basically what this episode is. It's, oh, but if she takes the pills, she will know it. Right. But how would they have known there would be a scenario build up that would result in her taking those pills. It would have to be somebody like Vite who's that smart, who can plan stuff out to that much with that much minutia and everything. Right. Either that or they have some sort of uh element like um Dr. Manhattan where they can see the future in a way. Uh-huh. I don't know. Like otherwise that that part of the story just seems a little bit like uh or fetched, I guess. Like, she'll know in three days who I am, like, once she goes through this experience. And then she yeah, wakes weird. up at Lady True's place. And she's on the IV drip, just like uh, we saw uh, Beyond, her her daughter. And, yeah, the, the, the medicine is afoot in implanting memories. And that makes me wonder, is, was Beyond maybe not, a, like, the clone or her mother or something? That's possible, too. Uh-huh. But maybe Beyond... Was being fed her memories, her uh, um, Lady True's memories or something. Okay. Although she didn't seem that old, old enough at all. I don't know. It's. Yeah. I mean, we don't. Yeah, we we don't we don't know. Obviously, generational pain and generational inequality is something that's that's central to this, if if not the central thing. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, also, you know, how did she get to Lady True's? I mean, did did I, I don't understand how she even got there? Is the law still looking for her? Is she on the lamb? I mean, when when you have a trillion dollars, I think you can just take people. Epstein, <laughs> you can just, yeah. It's... Did he commit suicide? No, we won't get into that. <laughs> Obviously not. We know he. Didn't. So, um, you know, I, I want to talk to some, about, about something I think is interesting. Okay. And again, you know, I think I prefer those to what things you want to talk about that are not. Yeah, right. Yeah. So when we look at episodes one, I guess one, two, three, whatever, I remember kind of being a little bit um, surprised by how okay I was with with the strong government like police force. Right. I mean, it was like a police state, and I was okay with it. You know what I mean? Like the, them taking people in, inter- interrogating them, looking glasses, doing his thing. They pull them aside. They beat the shit out of them. They go run rampant in like the Nixon uh, like RV park or whatever. And right. I was like, okay, that's – you know, that violates due process and everything like that, right? But it just kind of felt like, okay, I, I can see why they're doing it. And that's that's a kind of a scary thing, right? Right. And I, we were – I think we were talking about being surprised by that. You know, here we see Reeves at the end. You know, say, hey, you have that that um, KKK outfit in your closet. Why do you have that? I'm gonna, I need to hang you. Kind of, maybe, just even. I mean, if it's just because he needs to get his generational revenge in a way, or make things right, and kind of like balance the scales uh, in a generational way, even if it's removed, I guess, two generations. I kind of thought, huh, maybe that makes sense, and maybe that's okay. And then I thought, wait a second, and then I just started thinking about kind of the law. And, you know, there's – there's, and I'll, I'll wrap this up in 15 seconds, but there's laws in place where, you know, um, like a domestic abuse victim, right? Like let's take your 
like cliche, stereotypical domestic abuse victim. She's been abused, the abused housewife or something, right? I mean, I'm right. not sorry, I'm not saying homemaker, but I'm just kind of doing the, the stereotypical thing. She's been abused for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Finally kills her husband. But it's not in, he wasn't actually trying to kill her. She, he was just asleep and she was fucking fed up. She would generally <clears throat> go to trial for murder. Whether they, you know, convict her is, is a different matter. Right. But it's just this idea of, okay, it's not self-defense, but kind of what she did made sense. You know mm. what I mean? And like the law should not necessarily punish that. And this was a kind it's of same justifiable, thing. even it's, though it's justifiable and it makes sense. And you can see yourself doing the same thing, right? right. And so I kind of was watching him while he was hanging himself, thinking, okay, the scales are balanced. And then I thought, oh, again, we're still dealing with this extrajudicial thing. The law should take care of this. We should all elect representatives who do the right thing. But the problem, again, with who watches the watchmen is that they don't always represent our best interest. And so we have these weird power structures and competing power structures and factions that was that it was at the heart of the comic book. And now I just love the fact that it's at the heart of the uh, the, the show in so many ways. You know, I don't know. Just just kind of an interesting thing I was thinking about a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, there was a, a point. I was checking our, our chat here. Um, Rubio brought what? up, he says, uh, how, how is there a memory of Will hanging Judd in those pills? Because what? if you think about it, that happened while he, um, had the pills in his pocket and Angela took him into custody and the, like, there's no reason that should be in there. Do we have a 3d printer? <laughs> Do we have a micro three? They have shitty TVs, but do they have a micro? He was right there using his uh, Harry Potter wand to extract the memory and put it into pill form real quick. Exactly. Because otherwise, hmm, shenanigans. This might just be one of those where it's like, we're going to have to give this show a pass on some bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't know. What is there? How would they explain that? Unless the pills. Hey, it could have been through the IV drip. It could have been through that, like, you know, maybe the IV drip was some medicine. Oh, shit. Like, it seems like she's, like, putting an IV drip on her in order to, like, bring her awake. But instead, she feeds one last memory to her while she's still, like, tripping balls. Look. That's actually not a bad idea. I give give movies, books, shows the benefit of the doubt all the time. The only person I've ever seen pee in a movie, Field of Dreams. Or not Field of Dreams. League of Their Own. Um, greatest pee of all Scott time Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim has the oh, little does pee he, bar does he, oh does he pee as well yeah. but I just mean to say I've never really seen that many characters pee but I assume they go to the bathroom that was my so, biggest problem with that show 24 where you have Kiefer Sutherland he never like, pees 24 hours man you're taking a shit at some point is that commercial break enough time for you to take a shit Dipes and wipes <laughs> he's wearing a diaper <laughs> Dipes and wipes that's, that's not an expression is it Oh, dipes and wipes. You don't say dipes and wipes? I, I'm now I do. I guess. Oh wow! Gotta start integrating that into yeah, my dipes and wipes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't have been in there. Maybe it was the IV. I don't know. Good. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, what else? I had like. I got a question two... for you. Okay. You know, a lot of times we say next to die. Who's your next to die? My next to die, man. Grandpa. I don't know. Like, who's my next to be resurrected for a bit? We're going to see more Judd, I think. Uh, Hood of Justice, man. He's out. He kind of fulfilled his purpose. You think so? Enough of the backstory's been laid out? He's going to die. I mean, he's like 105 years old. Yeah. <laughs> my God. Okay. I'm 36. I'm getting tired. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Yeah. I Okay. I would agree there. I'd say Hood of Justice. He's going to go. Yeah. Um, 
yeah I, no i thought i had one other point i was going to bring up i not necessarily finding it can i can i ask you another kind of question a thematic question i had no well i'm going to do it anyway <laughs> okay you know how far do you think the show is going to go? Obviously, it's brought up problems, right? It's 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 been a conversation piece, I think, for for race and everything like that. But, and this is this is a stupid question from the get go, and I get it. But you know, Vite tried to solve something at the end of the comic book. In a way, I mean, maybe he maybe he was successful. Maybe nuclear and I, maybe both countries were going to uh, what's it called, like mutually dis- assured destruction. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was going to take place. I don't know. So maybe he he was successful in a way, even though that's kind of weird to say he was successful when he did this crazy shit. But we see that, you know, we have a government that is, I mean, very in, in a very uh, kind of microcosmic way, right? Like the government creates the problem. The police literally go into a theater and flash lights and say, kill, kill yourselves. And then when they do kill each other, they then call them animals, mm-hmm. right? So, the, so, I mean, just like... We can look at the government doing redlining and stuff like that. I mean, we can go even. They force, they force the a situation creates, and then they build the narrative. For they it create the problem and then they blame the victim for the problem. You know, yeah, of course, right? So, are we going to see something like? I mean, I'm sorry to use a Game of Thrones reference, but breaking the wheel. Are we going to see anything like that where it is kind of like a Vite thing where he does at least try to change something? I know we talked about earlier a, a few weeks ago. Maybe it was that kind of mini pod we did on the phone, but maybe there was something with. You know, dispersing nostalgia in a way so that everyone kind of can feel each other's pain or something so we become more empathetic. I, I, you know, I don't know. I like that idea that the Millennium Clock is going to um, – Crop dust? Force, yeah, it's going to crop dust nostalgia in a way that makes everyone have a, a reckoning with our past. But I don't know if that would translate into some sort of kumbaya moment like, you know, an alien kind of – forcing the hand of, of a degree of um, denuclearization and uh, harmony in a way. Um, but if, if you think about this, who are our – we have three big players, yeah. I guess, the, that could potentially shape the outcome. And we're still really unsure. Wait, wait, wait. I just, just want to make sure we're are. clear because, yeah, you're going to go over these three players. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have the 7th Cavalry. Who are working on something with lithium that they might be making bombs potentially that they might be uh, transporting through the little dimensional uh, portal thing that they're using. That's roughly what might be going on there. And they could be the resurrection of, or maybe it never left, the KKK um, Cyclops sect of this KKK cult. Yeah. Um but we don't know fully what's going on there. We have Lady True, who's building a giant millennium clock in the heart of America. And yeah. that could potentially be her enacting a a sort of revenge for what happened to her homeland of Vietnam by the employment of America's Superman, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan, when he just kind of took over everything there. Have you ever thought that maybe it's just a truck stop? It's just a truck. It's just a tourist trap. <laughs> they have marked up markups of these little millennium clocks. You're walking around getting your big gulp, and they paid you when your shower's ready. It's basically Bucky's. <laughs> it's a Bucky's. <laughs> That's all she's making. Anyway, uh, then the third one is uh, Adrian Veidt. We don't really know 
what he is, but he's clearly a player on the field who is more powerful than than we know. And I don't know how he's going to enter back into the game, but he's working toward entering back into the game from the past. Yes, right? sub me in, coach. His, his plot is um, still uh, three years in the past or two years. I don't know. You're forgetting uh, one of the biggest players. Who? He is he's the man with your favorite member. Dr. Manhattan? Is he gonna make a is he gonna come back? They have that one scene of the blue mask and a blue hand reaching down and picking it up from Comic Con. Precisely. But what if that's just some big tease? What if we're not gonna have the Hulk running through the forest at in Endgame? Maybe it's just gonna be Hulk Buster with Mark Ruffalo in the suit. Who knows? That's that could be what's going on here. Did that you, was a that was just a big trick. Trailers a lie. Well, oh wait, 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 wait. So was that actually a trailer? And they changed it out for the yeah. Hulkbuster? Okay, because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't watch trailers. In the trailer, they have the Hulk running through with the rest of the team, and then all of a sudden, it's just Hulkbuster. They obviously didn't want to give that reveal, so they spent the time uh. to animate Hulk running through the um, through Wakanda in the big uh, Infinity War battle. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, I'm glad I didn't watch that trailer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. You know. We don't know. I mean, it's tough to know, and it's tough to know what they're going to do in four in four days. Okay, let, let's extend this question out a little more. Okay, is there going to be a season two? See, I don't know. It could be that that he's or this Watchmen team are going to take such a big swing with whatever happens here that they might not want to do a. They're going to top season. the ball, but infield. infield also, yep. given how franchises work. If HBO is making the investment in this show and this property, they might still want a second season. Remember that show, 13 Reasons Why, on yeah. Netflix? Yeah. That had no business having a second season, but they sure as shit crowbarred one in once it was so financially successful. Well, and that's kind of what happens. High School Musical, the musical, the series, <laughs> got picked up for a second season before the first episode even launched. And thank God. Oh, sweet. <laughs> thank God. I mean, I'm not kidding. But, uh, I mean, I guess we, here we have a little bit of a Game of Thrones, King Killer Chronicle problem. Mm. Is it going to be resolved? And, you know, I don't want to invite any criticism of Lost. I liked it. I know. I think you liked it. Give me a, I mean, whatever. Not everybody's going to love it. It's not your baby. Write it yourself if you're going to be unhappy. I'm sorry. That's a little bit of my, you know, I just think, I, what, I think there's a little bit of a problem with criticism here with the Twitter sphere and everything. But... Are you? Do you think like he's going to be able to wrap this up at least, let's say, seven out of ten uh, loose threads? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean and, and I would be happy with that. Look, look at what they answered this episode. I, I thought the last episode they dropped a lot of answers, and then this episode it's like, oh, here is the definitive uh, origin of Hooded Justice, who we've been kind of dancing around. Here's a little bit more of the backstory uh, of the Minutemen and how all that's tying in. We now know what those pills do. Yeah. Um, we've answered that. We now know what happened to Judd. We have a, an explanation, as kooky as the science is, um, for how he killed himself. And I, yeah, I feel like those were like the big questions. There might, it's okay for smaller things <clears throat> to still linger around, but it seems like they're hitting a lot of the big ones. And yeah. What does it say on your notepad? Well, it says, "Tell Grant it was a perfect episode. No collusion." <laughs> was a trump thing <laughs> yeah it absolutely was are you kidding me when i saw the giant permanent marker in the other room i had to use it no okay you're completely right that they have answered a lot of stuff and i think if we limited this to 
to the Seventh Cavalry. Okay, and we have this redneck four chan kind of thing going on. Yeah. With with Senator Keene. <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. You know, and so we have the senator, we have kind of the governmental conspiracy. We've seen that before. I understand that. What I don't know is what's Lady True doing? What's going on with that with the statue? What is it called? The Millennium Clock? Yeah. What's going on with that? What's going on with Vite? Okay. What's going on with Manhattan? What's going on with Lori's boyfriend and that fucking owl in her room? <laughs> is that has that thing been fed? Well, did she does she have somebody going over like on rover.com to feed the owl? We don't know a ton of stuff and are we going to see him? Are we going to see Dan? He's in prison. Yes, is she doing this to get him out? Did they say, you know, do a few cases, kind of like a catch 22, do your number of of flights? And get out. And then they keep fucking her. He was supposed to be in in for 35 years, so he should be out in like four years, I think, from then or something like that. I don't know. But um, did you see? No, I didn't see the preview for next week. Let me do the math there. No, it's like another – he's got another like 10 years. Um, (laughs) Did you see my little post I did about like what Dr. Manhattan was spelling where it said save me D? Well, we talked about it. About club, D being potentially club, Dan? Club Med. Yeah, Dan. We talked about that on, on the show. Yeah, because he signs his name with a D. So how would, would Dan fly Archie up there? Yeah, through space. Wouldn't that be... They spend a whole episode, like Shadow of the Colossus shit. Like, just like flying, flying Archie there. I love that. Yeah, it's a little Breath of the Wild. You're just spending 45 minutes running. <laughs> what am I watching at this point? Yeah, by the way, I mean, I have been stuck in uh, Star Wars Fallen Order. Yeah. The new video game. If anybody can give me some hints, slide into your DMs. I don't know, because I'm, I'm lost. People have been sliding into my dem- DMs still as really? a result of you. Um, well, do we have any and questions? And they always say... Hey, just slid into your DMs. For real. For the recommendations. Do you have any questions? Uh, Do you have any user questions pulled up? I didn't pull up? anything up, no. Here's a question, Jesus. though. Jesus. Here's one, one question from our live feed. Um, Tony Mar- Marengo says, uh, fellas, what percentage of folks do you think are watching, the sh- that are watching the show on HBO on Sunday do you think are fans of the original book? I would say it's probably a lower percentage. Three, th- I mean, I'm not joking. One to three percent, really? I'd put it a little higher than that. I'd say maybe like how how, how many copies is it? Five, sell? five. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's negligible. I mean, yeah, I would say a lot of people haven't read it, but how, I would think people are going to pick it up. How many people it. have read a fringe comic book from the nineteen eighties? I mean, the answer is like, or, or versus how many people have watched? It was a New uh, York Times bestseller. It was a big comic, dude. I mean, I'm not denigrating the comic. I just think that that's more of a fringe medium. Than HBO when after Game of Thrones, it's Sunday night, you're bored. You know, you're like, oh, I'll just see what's on TV. I'll get on the, bo- the boob tube. You know? The boob tube. People say that. They, they shouldn't. No, I mean, I, I look, I, I, I'm curious to see what he thinks, what other people think. But it just can't be that many. I would like to say 20, 30%. But there's just not that many people who have, who have read it. I mean, right. even me, a, a big comic book fan, right? I hadn't read it until we started doing this. That's true, but you thought you had. I, yeah. I, I feel like I took some nostalgia and had a, a few imperfect memories. <laughs> it, it's obviously, it's had its impact. Yeah. Enough on other comics that it feels like you've read it. You know the story somewhat. You're familiar a little bit with it. Question. Yes. 
What's a comic you would like to see done in this manner, where it's not a remake of the original material, but it's kind of picking up where it left off? Ooh, rather than like and, just and, like redoing it. And I, fu- yeah, and I fully admit that that's, and I understand that's a difficult question to answer without any shit, without giving you time. I have to remember where Ex Machina ended, but I really liked that story, and I thought that it it seemed to be opening up to a much bigger. Um, universe uh, of possibilities like with a like a, a pantheon of, of bad guys for that character yeah i was like oh why that why that comic end that's weird that <laughs> so would be, be like, that would be a really interesting one and it would just be cool to see how they translate the kind of colors and stuff and art style onto right. a show what would you say man i mean i love obviously i mean lucifer was interesting i would like to see that They've kind of had like a, I think a Lucifer show, haven't they? I don't know they if it's have. good. Is it, is it good? They turned him into a police detective and they made it like a buddy cop show. Although I heard Turner like, Hooch? I heard in like the third or fourth season, it gets like much better. It like they changed companies oh, and but like they changed a lot of what they were doing. You've got to suffer through the first few. If you, if you yeah. want. Um, Lucifer, I mean, I know you kind of jumped off the bandwagon, but I love Fables. I love the cast of characters. Yeah, but do you really want them to pick up wherever Fables is like leaving off? Finally? I'll tell you what. Yeah, because they all dispersed into their kingdoms. That was kind of the end of Fable Town or whatever. Because they didn't really have any problems in their homelands, so they went back to their homelands. So I would actually like to see some kind of vignettes. Do you remember like Matrix did that Matrix Revolutions or Revelations or whatever? Where was these series of vignettes like cartoons and stuff? Yeah, I would like to see kind of a Fables version of that. Okay. I know you weren't really a Fables dude. I mean, like, why? I feel like that's Once Upon a Time in, in, uh, or what's it called? Just Once Upon a Time? And I want to see that. You know what's so funny is that I think if we were off camera right now or off mic, you would freely admit that you like Fables. I liked Fables a lot. I feel like the they've done a couple TV show adaptations that feel close enough to it, and I wasn't enjoying them. Okay. There's lost people that moved on to Once Upon a Time. Wasn't, wasn't, yeah, yeah, okay. I didn't have an answer for this ready. I thought it was an interesting question. I would like to hear what other people say. (laughs) <laughs> this was just kind of a food for thought moment. Yeah. No, I, well, you know, I don't have any other notes. I don't know what you have. I think we're done. I think we've we've covered this episode. I actually don't really know what episode seven is going to be. I'm pretty excited in, the, in that fact. Did you watch the preview? Uh, no, I didn't watch the preview. Holy this time. shit! I know. Okay. So I'm not sure what it's going to be. I can tell you what the title is. Yeah. The title is an almost religious awe. And I think this is in reference to something Dr. Manhattan said that was like how he said, how he described um, the Vietnamese looked at him when he intervened. They looked at me with an almost religious awe. So I wonder if this is going to have Dr. Manhattan or it's going to have the the cult of religion that formed in his absence. Um, the people talking in those domes to him, stuff like that. These these churches potentially to him. I think they showed like some churches to Doctor Manhattan. So I'm interested to see what this is going to be. I, they have not even listed a, a little plot synopsis yet for it, so don't know. Do you think it's going to be more of a kind of a bottle episode like this one, or will it just kind of go full throttle? No, I think they'll have to pick pick back up into like what's going on with the plot. Yeah, I don't think they can do two in a row of those. Yeah. Okay. So I know we're wrapping up tomorrow. We have His Dark Places. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna watch that one. Friday we have. I haven't kept up. Though. Friday we have Mandalorian. Yes. Yes, that's a big it. Whoa! I hope it's not delayed because of Thanksgiving. Jesus, that'd be awful. We also have High School Musical, the musical, the series. 
What's on? This is true. What's on your watch? What's on your watch list this week? Anything else? I know it's Thanksgiving, so it's a little bit different. Um, I think they delayed the Good Place finale finale until like January. So. Oh, you mean like series finale? Yeah. Okay. So nothing, nothing, I guess, aside from just like the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Got to watch that. Hey, great talking to you. Uh, This is fun. Hey, everyone. uh, Thank you guys for checking out our episode. You can, of course, subscribe to us um, either on here on YouTube or on any podcasting listening app that you listen to. We should be on all of them. Uh, We appreciate all of your support. If If, you guys want to help. If we're not on all of them, it's your fault. (laughs) I'm dropping the ball. You're the only one doing this, so it's totally your fault. Yeah, if you aren't, my bad. Um, but uh, if you guys want to help support us, please go to patreon.com slash whopodsthewatchman and make a per-month pledge. We appreciate the support of all of you guys thus far. And we'll be releasing um, additional Patreon episodes and probably some other midweek uh, recap or like theories or something like that um, for you to listen to when you're trying to avoid your family during Thanksgiving. <laughs> It'll be a good time. Um, until then, we want to thank you guys so much. We will be back again on Sunday to pod more. Who pods the Watchmen? We do, baby. Is that, my, is that our sign off? Holy smokes. Uh, yeah. I really can't say anything else.